right, let's go ahead and uh, start finding our places, if you don't mind. Um, so, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? You turkeyed out, leftovered out, right? Um, you know, uh, Kara and I, we, we always talk about, man, you just want something spicy the next couple of days, you know, you just want something, a little bit of zip, a little bit of zest, and, but I uh, hope you had a good time. I know we got a lot of people still traveling, some people sick, some people not able to be here, and uh, we, we miss them, and man, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us um, this morning. Um, if you were here last week, you know that we began to take a step back from our series on the volume of the book until the beginning of the year, and we're going to slide in and begin to talk about uh, this new series that we're calling Popular Passages. Popular Passages, um, just that are often quoted, often misquoted, um, often misapplied. And uh, last week we were in 2 Timothy and uh, just talked about a couple things out of that. It was, I think Dave Williams put it, man, that was a pretty intense message. And so we were, we were, it, was, it was pretty intense, right? We had to address some things. And, and today's a little bit more laid back, I'll be honest. And if everything goes well, it might even be shorter by five minutes. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, so if you remember last week, we, we spent some time in the book of Acts kind of setting the stage for our passage. And so I don't want to pull up the passage, but I do want to give you the, the, our message title. Our message title is The Strength and Riches of Christ. The Strength and Riches of Christ. And we'll get to that here in just a few moments. But last week we were in Acts 16. So I'm going to ask if you would make your way there. Acts chapter 16. There's a story I want to continue on. So we, we, we talked about how uh, Paul and Silas had been making their way um, to go check on these churches that they had planted and to go see how they're doing. And John Mark had quit the ministry, had gone back and, 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 that, and wanted to join this trip. And Paul says, listen, I'm not taking anybody who's not all in, who's not willing to endure some persecution. Um, and that's kind of where we went that direction last week in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. A often quoted verse, often taken out of context or without fully understanding the background of it. All right, so today I want to continue in that story because we kind of left off with Timothy getting circumcised, which is kind of weird, right? It's kind of a weird little, that's kind of weird. But we left off with that. And uh, I want to kind of pick the story up in Acts 16, and it's going to launch us off into our next couple of verses that I want to look at, um, popular passages that I want to look at. So Acts chapter 16, let's start in verse 1. It says, Then came he to Derbe in Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Here's, here's where I want us to pay attention. Verse 3. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordered, ordained to the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. All right, so there was a, there was a little debate going on. You can read about this in chapter 13 and, and chapter 14, where you had Jews who were getting saved and they were having a hard time letting go of the law. 
right? And, and so they were trying to force Gentiles who were getting saved to start participating and keeping the law. And they're like, um, yeah, they were never under the law. Why are you trying to put them under bondage after salvation? And so they had this, this council. They had this, this little, uh, basically, lack of a better word, they had a kind of a conference and let's, let's deal with this. And God directed them and they said, okay, if we're going to reach Jews for the Lord, then we have to make sure that we're at least um, reaching them and meeting them where they are. So they send, sent these letters by, by Paul's hand. And so they're going from church to church to church, delivering these letters. And here in chapter 16, they run to this young man named Timothy and Timothy joins the team and he gets circumcised because they're going to go reach Jews for Jesus. And then verse four, they're delivering these decrees and the churches are getting established. You see that in, in verse five. And so people are getting saved. And so Timothy joins the missionary team. Now, Paul, he's excited and there's some areas that he wants to go to. He wants to go off into Asia. And if you were, and I say this all the time, but if, if you were to read this passage and grab your book of maps, right, that maps at the end of your Bible or maybe on your phone, you can pull it up and it makes sense what Paul's wanting to do. So check this out, verse six. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in, uh, word in Asia, then they were come to Mysia. They said to go into Bithynia and the spirit suffered them not. And so here he is wow, I'm doing all this and man, it makes sense to go this way. I want to go to Asia. I want to go to Bithynia. I want to go to all these areas. And the Spirit of God's saying, nope, you're not going there. Nope, you're not going there. But I want to go. Okay, I can't go there. Then I'll go this way. And the Spirit says, nope, you're not going that way. You got to go this way. Paul's a little frustrated by now. He's got a group of people following him. He's leading a team and they're trying to figure out where they would have them to go. All right, verse nine. Check this out. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Stop. Now, if you're not familiar with your geography, this is an important time to get it. So what they're doing, they're over in modern day Turkey, that region north, north of Israel. They're kind of in that modern day Turkey area. And Paul's wanting to go further in. He's wanting to go deeper inland. And the Spirit of God says, no, I need you to get to the coast because I'm going to send you a vision and I want you to go over into Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is the northern part of current Greece, right? So Macedonia is a country today, right? So north of Greece, you have Macedonia and, and there's a, Paul sees this vision of a, young, of a man saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. This would be the first time the gospel crosses that sea and gets over there and starts preaching Jesus, Right? So this is a monumental time. Come over, leave Asia, come over into Europe. And so Paul says, okay, then that's, apparently that's what we're going to do. Verse 10, and after he, that's Paul, had seen the vision immediately, we, this is now Luke joins the team because he's, he's hanging out here in Troas and, and Luke joins, now joins the team. He uses the word we. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So now the news is, hey, come over to Macedonia. They say, okay, let's go. Let's go over to Macedonia, verse 12. And from thence to Philippi. So they travel, they travel, and they end up in this place called Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. In other words, there's a group of Jews and they have a synagogue there. There's a, there's a group of Jews in a colony and we're in that city abiding certain days. Check this out, verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out, to the, out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. 
So you have a group of women who have a prayer meeting every Saturday. They meet down at the river and they have a prayer meeting. It must have been popular enough that Paul and his team hear about this prayer meeting that happens on the Sabbath day. And they make their way out and they sit and they just observe and they begin to participate in this prayer meeting that's led by just a group of women. In verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of what? Thyatira. Now, where's Thyatira? Thyatira is over in Asia. So she is from Asia, but she's kicking it over here in Philippi because she's a businesswoman. She's a seller of purple. She's a businesswoman. And so she worshiped God, but she doesn't know Jesus himself. She She worships God, but she doesn't know Jesus. She hears him. Whose heart the Lord opened that she attended in the things which were spoken of Paul. And so Lydia gets saved. Now here, let me just give you a principle. God, you may have on your heart a certain group of people. You might have a certain group of people on your heart. Paul wanted to go to Israel. Sorry, he wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to go to Bithynia. He wanted to go to Thyatira. He wanted to go to all those places. And the Spirit of God says, nope, you're not going to do that. If you want to reach somebody from Thyatira, you got to go to Philippi to get it done. So just because God may have put a certain group of people on your heart, but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily called you to where they are. right? He's not necessarily called you to that location. He might have you reaching them in a different location. Man, praise the Lord for that. And what we know by, she's from Thyatira, we know according to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 that there's now a church in Thyatira. Praise the Lord. Now Peter has done, he's the one doing all the work in that area. So God says, okay, Paul, I need to send you somewhere else. Or so I know you're, you're getting a history lesson, but this is important to get. You got to get what's happening here. So they get into Philippi. They lead Lydia to Christ. Lydia is a rich woman. And so she opens up her home. She has a larger home. And so she brings all these people now into her home. They went from meeting on the riverside. to now she's given to hospitality, bringing people into her house. And the Philippian church starts in her home. Now, it's huge. Now, they're using her home as a launching pad for ministry to reach the entire city of Philippi. They lead a young lady to Christ who's, who's making other people rich. They lose their money, and now the city is upset. So check this out, Acts chapter 16 in verse 22. So they come, and they, they arrest Paul, and they arrest Silas. And the multitude, verse 22, rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So they get beaten. They get thrown in jail. Now, Timothy escapes this somehow. I don't know where he's at, but he's probably hanging out at Lydia's house. But Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. And what are they doing? Verse 25, where they're singing praising God at midnight battered and bruised and whooped and torn up. Listen, we get a little tired and we have a hard time praising the Lord. <laughs> right? We get a little worked up. I mean, we have a hard time. You just join the body of Christ. All right, well, be careful. These guys are singing and praising God in the midst of difficulties and, and the prisoners hear them. Now check this out, verse 26. This is so cool. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Some earthquake. That's a kind of a crazy earthquake, isn't it? Man, they are fast in chains. They are bound within a prison, within a prison. They're like in solitary confinement. 
They're singing praises to God like, you can't shut me up. I'm going to praise the Lord that people are hearing it. There's an earthquake, and then all the doors just like open up, and all the chains, they just all fall off. Now, if you understand the times, the jailer has a responsibility to make sure nobody escapes. Well, he's in a deep sleep. Check this out. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened. They're like, this is a nightmare for the jailer. Like the worst thing that could possibly, you, you know he's had dreams, right? You know he's had dreams of just like waking up and all the prisoners have left. Today's his nightmare. He opens up his eyes and all the doors are opened. He drew, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself because he would rather fall on a sword than suffer what the Romans were going to do to him because he let the prisoners out, right? I would rather die by suicide than suffer the torture that they're getting ready to give me. So he drinks out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled, verse 29, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Now, I don't know about you, but the moment that doors open up and the chains fall off, I'm gone, though. I'm out, right? See you, see you, sayonara, I'm out. But he hangs back. So he calls for a light. He sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, check this out. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? Because this is the same jailer who would have been sitting there hearing them sing praises to God. This is the same jailer who would have been sitting there listening to the, the, the songs of God echoing throughout this prison. And he saw, goes to sleep listening to praise and worship, and he wakes up desiring to praise and worship. And he springs in and he says, Hey, what must I do to be saved? Well, you got to try hard. Well, you got to be baptized. Is that what Paul says? That's not at all what he says. What does he say in verse 31? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, a resurrected Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the house, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. So what does that mean? That means he led them out of a prison, takes them to his home. Talk about walking on eggshells, right? Talking about doing things in the middle of the night. Can you imagine his family sound asleep? He walks up and shows up at the house going, Dad, what are you doing here? Well, you'll never believe it. There was an earthquake and the doors opened and I got the prisoners and I got saved and I want you to hear the same thing. And man, they get saved. And then he washes their wounds and he sneaks them back into prison. This is a crazy story. He sneaks them back into prison and then they come to him because they let those people go. And Paul's like, nah, they put me in here. They can come and get me out themselves. <laughs> right? So Paul sneaks back into prison and makes the, makes the magistrates get him out. Verse 39, and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them. And they departed. Now, that's kind of Paul's MO, if you remember the story from Derby and Leicester. Remember, he received a stoning there. And he gets healed and he comes back and he goes back to, the, back to the same area and preaches Jesus. And now he's in Philippi, a brand new city, people getting saved. And now there's a brand new church. And they're meeting in Lydia's house. 
the Philippian jailer is now a member of this brand new church who meets at Lydia's house. People who would never interact with each other are now one in Christ as members of the same body. How cool is that? But Paul doesn't just leave them without anything. He leaves Luke there. So Luke joins them in, in Troas, and then he stays there. Pay attention to the pronoun. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 17 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And so now Luke stays in Philippi to help out with this church as Paul and Silas and Timothy head on down the road. And so it says here in verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And so now he's gone to Philippi, planted a church in just a short amount of time. God's bringing revival. Church is planted. Luke is now there to, to help get that off the ground. And they, they go down south. Now in, they head down south towards Thessalonica. And they get to Thessalonica, and they're there for three Sabbath days. So maximum time they're there is 21 days. And I tell the story because what you see in Acts chapter 17 is the beginning of the church of the Thessalonians. Now, you can read more about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, how all that played out. We're not going to do that. You can do your own homework on that. But now I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4. Because right after the church is planted in Philippi, and Paul heads down to Thessalonica, the church in Philippi is brand spanking new, right? Brand new. I mean, they've only got a few weeks under their belts. And the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 4, pay attention to what Paul says. Look at verse 15, chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, now ye Philippians, he's reminding them of how it was in the very beginning. It says, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, can you imagine having a testimony that your church was planted at the beginning of the gospel when it was just going forth? And then Paul says, hey, at the beginning of the gospel, your church has this testimony. You know what that testimony is? He says, when I departed from Macedonia, verse 15, no church communicated with me as concerning in giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So here's the Philippian church, brand spanking new. You have Lydia lead, opening her house, Luke leading this church. Paul goes down to Thessalonica. They get word that they're only just a, a few cities away, and they send relief down. They send support down to Paul, who's only there for three weeks. This is a brand new church who's giving to missions immediately. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? This is at the beginning of the gospel. Now, what you're reading in Philippians is way later, because now we're at the end. Paul's in Roman prison, and he sends this letter to the Philippians from Rome. So he's now from the beginning of the ministry to the end of his ministry. All right, so check this out, verse 10. Verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the, what? What's it say? That now at the, the last, Paul knew this was the end. Paul knew this was the end of his ministry. He says, now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. In other words, there was a time where they weren't supporting. 
He says, wherein you, you were also careful. In other words, they wanted to support, but they just weren't supporting. But now it's flourished again, but you lacked opportunity. You didn't have the ability to, to give. And now here it is right at the end. As I'm sitting in a Roman prison, you are ministering to me. So the Philippian church now sends support to Paul in Rome at the end of his ministry. Look at verse 18. He says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell of sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So here's the Philippian church. They get word that Paul's in a Roman prison. And so they send this young man or this man named Epaphroditus, who gets sick, by the way. You can read about that in chapter 2, almost dies because of this. Epaphroditus takes this relief, whatever it is, the things that they sent, and Epaphroditus goes to Rome. He finds Paul in a Roman prison, and he supplies Paul with whatever these things are, right? And Paul writes back and says, oh, when I saw Epaphroditus, man, my face lit up. I'm rejoicing. Look what you guys get to be a part of. And I'm full because of what Epaphroditus did. Because he sends back this letter by the hands of Epaphroditus. Y'all with me? Now, that's a pretty cool story, I think. And that provides a proper background for the two popular verses that I want to address. You guys can probably already guess what they are. The first one is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You ever said that one? You ever quoted that one? Oh, yeah, me too. You ever seen it on a pillow? Seen it on a bumper sticker? You've seen it everywhere. You see that verse everywhere. Let's just see how, how many days it takes you to see it on social media this week. You're going to see it. Great verse. Good verse. You ought to memorize the verse. But it's a verse that's often taken out of context. It's a verse that's often quoted and often misapplied. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Done it. Right? Like test time. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Right? We, we quote the verse. You know, sitting in Walmart parking lot when you don't want to go in. I can do all things through Christ. Right? I, I can do all things through through Christ. Or sports. You're on the you're on the line. You're ready to you're ready to go. Like I ever did that. Right? Chunky monkey racing. Come on. You're standing in the batter's box or whatever. I I can do all things through Christ. You, you end up quoting things or you're going through times of grief. I can do all things through Christ. Okay, good verse, but not necessarily apply to any of those situations because that verse is in the context of the whole story we just laid out. That verse is in, the, is, is in reference to accomplishing the work of making disciples with or without physical support from somebody else. That's what Paul's saying. I'm going to keep making disciples whether I receive support from others or not. That's the context. But notice he says, I can do, what's the next two words? All things. So let's just take a few moments and let's define what all things are. So Philippians chapter 6. Philippians chapter 6 says, be careful for nothing but in everything. So I've, I've shared a message on this not long ago, so I don't want to rehash the whole thing. But you have nothing and you have everything. Between no thing and everything is what? Anything. Would you agree with that? So between nothing and everything is anything. 
And we get anxious, we get worried. When we make one thing become our everything, be careful there, because that's what he's talking about. So he's talking about being careful for nothing, but in every single thing. Well, what are those things? Verse 8 tells you what those things are that we should be concerned with. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And then he says, those things, verse 9. In other words, he lived those things. He demonstrated those things. He's taught those things. And then what do you think he's talking about when he says, I can do all things? Those things. So that's the context of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. It's in referencing to doing those things in verse 8. Those things of verse 9. It's in the context of making disciples without or with physical support from somebody else. That's the context. But then the second verse I want to look at is verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is Paul talking about the Philippian church. And this is in reference to sacrificing physical support. This is in reference to a church sacrificing physical support for others while accomplishing the job of making disciples here. That's what that verse is about. I've said that one too. My God shall supply all my need according in, in riches by Christ Jesus, right? Especially when it's time to buy Christmas presents. But my God shall supply all, all your need. Or you're praying really hard for a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I need one, Lord. My God shall supply all your need. Guilty as charged. Used that one before. Misplaced. Take it out of context. Oh, I really want a new car. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. My niece is cringing right now. What about, uh, I just need a nap. Or I just need, I just need some rest. My God shall supply all your need. You know, when your kids are your last nerve and they're like dancing on it. Ding, 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 ding. You just, Lord, I just need a nap. I just need some peace. And they're quoting verses like this. Okay, well, I get it. The problem is it's out of context. It's, sac it's talking about a church that is sacrificially giving to the work of making disciples elsewhere while making disciples at home. That's the context. And when Paul, the whole story of starting the church of Philippi and the Philippian church helping out in Thessalonica, staying engaged with Paul, Paul going about his ministry, but at the very end when he's in Rome, by the way, making disciples in a Roman prison, you can read about them at the end of chapter four, you can read the list of names of people he's led to Christ there. How cool is that? The Philippian church has now found him and supplying his need there. All right, so that is the backdrop for these verses, and I know what you're thinking. He's just now getting started. This is going to go quick. This is going to go quick. So here's, here's the points I have for us in our notes. I want to get to the heart of a missions-minded church. The heart of a missions-minded church. What does it mean to be a missions-minded church? Interesting that we sang the song, Go, today. And in that, we want to have the heart of God in it. 
So we want to have uh, the heart of a missions-minded church. And maybe off to the side, you might write two words down. Give greatly. Give greatly. giving the, the church's responsibility to give to missions. Now, here's how we do this, and the Philippian church is a great illustration for this. Next point I have is support should be personal. Our support for missionaries should be very personal. Listen, we, we take a different kind of stance as a church. There's, there's a host of churches out there that support 100 missionaries at 5 to 10 to 15 $20 a month. I'm not interested in that. What good is 5 to 10 to $15 a month going to do? Really? Hey, go buy a cup of coffee this month on us. We accomplished a lot. No, we're not interested in that as a church. We would rather support at a larger sum a small amount of missionaries. Why? Because we want to be very personal in our interaction. Okay? So it ought to be very personal. Notice what it says in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your, pay attention, care of me. Your care of me. In other words, you're focused on the person doing the work. When we support missions, listen, we just had Brian Clark here not long ago, our missionary to London. And our support wasn't to Crossroads Baptist Church. Our support was to the missionary who's working to plant Crossroads Baptist Church. And our interaction was with him. It's a very personal Now, listen, I love the people of Crossroads. Know them. Know them by name. Pray for them as often as God brings them to my memory. I love that church. But our support was through the man doing the work. And Paul's like, hey, you, your care of me. So we're focused on the person doing the work. Look at verse 15. It says, now ye... Philippians. Isn't that interesting? Now ye Philippians, this is a church that had individual buy-in to what God was doing through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to this church of Philippi and he says, now ye Philippians. Man, there's just something different about you guys. He addresses them as individuals because they individually bought into Paul's ministry. Now we've already looked at verse 18 where they send Epaphroditus to him. They don't just send a care package. They don't just send the mail. They send a man carrying the stuff, right? And so when I think of missions, I, oh, I, I like to think of it in three, three ways. We're not going to support anybody unless we can pray for them, right? Prayer support. We can do that like every day, right? Prayer support. Physical support. We support our missionaries physically by sending them money every single month. What's the most we give? So four, like $400 a month to some of our missionaries because we take it serious, right? We send physical support, but our also goal is to send presence support. In other words, we want to be on the ground. My goal, man, I would love this if we could be there at least every two years. Selfishly, I want to be that dude, but I can't always be that guy, right? Because I just, I enjoy that. But man, we learn it just from this church. If we're going to support, we're going to do it personally. Boots on the ground. Let's get there. Let's, let's put our hands to, to the work. All right, so we're trying to work on some mission trips here in the States, some, some a little further in the States, and then some um, all over the world. We're trying to work all that out. 
So keep that in prayer. We've got, we got a trip for sure right now planned to go to Malawi, Africa. I was just talking to Zach about that. Man, God's already at work. God's already paving the way, doing some things that I had no idea was even possible. And man, he's already doing it. God's maybe opened a door for us to go to Belize and help out doing some farming type of stuff so the church can support themselves. Right? God's opening doors. God's doing some really cool things. Not interested if all it is is prayer. Not interested if all it is is a paycheck. Not interested if all it is is just, is just us going on a trip every once in a while. No, I want all three, man. I want it to be personal. All right, I promise you to go quick. Next one. The support should be prioritized. Verse 10 again, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful. You see that? We were also careful. In other words, here's a church that could not give to Paul because they lacked opportunity to give to Paul, and yet they were still seeking and they were still planning for that opportunity when it came available. They were still planning for that. They were still ready to support at, at the moment they possibly could. And so it ought to be a priority. Now, listen, our finance team is getting ready to meet very, very soon again as we continue to set the budget. We do this not as often as we like, but we're getting ready to set this budget and do it again, and here's what we do. The very first thing we do, okay, Lord, what are we trusting to bring in? Okay, the very first line item we deal with every single time is missions. Because nothing else matters until we get that set. Once our missions budget is set, now we can deal with how we're going to keep the heat and lights on. It's got to be our priority. First and foremost, that's the first thing we do. We have to set that. But it, it, it goes even more. It, verse 18. Verse 18. Paul says, okay, so Paphrodite shows up. And notice what Paul calls it. Middle of verse 18. The things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. In other words, knowing it's going to cost us. It ought to be prioritized knowing it's going to cost us and still we willingly give as a church to missions. That's the heartbeat of these two verses that we're looking at, Philippians 4.13 and Philippians 4.19. Knowing it's going to cost us. Have you ever received a gift from somebody? Knowing the effort and the amount of money and the sacrifice that that might have taken for them to give that gift. Does that not mean a lot to you? It means, man, you, you, you maybe hopefully will experience that at least once or twice in your life with the amount of thought and effort and, and, and sacrifice it took to provide that gift for you. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, I know, Philippians, you are broker than a joke, and yet you're still supporting me. That's what he's saying. Next thing is our support should be prepared. Verse 10, it says it's flourished again. In other words, they've prioritized, they're preparing it. They're ready to give to Paul the moment they have the opportunity to. And so they see the opportunity to give when it comes. Why are they able to do that? Because they were prepared to do it. Right? They're prepared to do it. But notice this in verse 15. There's a principle here I think is very interesting. 
End of verse 15. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Here's what, another, here's what some churches do. And we're guilty of this at times too. Where we just send stuff, right? Instead of having the conversation, hey, what do you need? What would be the best way to deliver what you need? Giving and receiving. What would be the best way to do that? Right? So it needs to be prepared. I mean, we can, we can send missionaries all kinds of different things, but it's not necessarily a help, right? And we can just show up on their doorstep. Hello, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, you're here. Now I got to plan, and now I have to do this, and now I have to do that, and I feel like I got to show you around. I got to, no, we don't just show up. We're not there to be a bother. We're there to assist. And if we're not going to be an assist, we're not going to show up. Right? So it, there needs to be prepared. We want to provide what's needed, when it's needed, and how it's, how it's needed. All right, so the next point. Let's look at it from Paul's perspective then. Because we've got to deal with the heart of a church-minded missionary. So we're, listen, I get calls, we get emails, we get all kinds of things, um, requests for missionaries to come through and present their ministry. And I have to go through the spiel every single time. Listen, I know how hard it can be to do, make cold calls. I know how difficult it must be to call me up. You don't know me from Adam, but you know somebody who knew somebody who knew me. So I get the phone number and I get it. But let me just tell you my heart. And they're like, oh, I get it. And of course, they're sad. They're, they're, they're dejected. Well, listen, we got a guy coming in January. His name's Justin Bedwell, good friend of mine. Love him. He's been to this church before back when we met on North Walnut in the rented Methodist building. Um, he, he came with, with a couple friends. Well, he's now in Zambia, Africa as a missionary. He's moving to Mfue. Spelt exactly like you would think. M-F-U-E. Mfue. So he's moving there. Moving from where he's at in Zambia to a new location. He said, hey, can I come through and present the ministry? I said, you're more than welcome to, but we're probably not supporting you financially. We're not, we're not to the point where we can give you the three Ps. He's like, that's cool, man. I just want to share my heart. If you can just pray. I'm like, that's the kind of guy I like right there. Not, he didn't beg me for money. He didn't, not once. He just wanted to come present. The, okay, man, we'll bring it. So he's coming in January, and I'm excited. He's just a cool dude. Uh, I really like that guy. The heart of a church-minded missionary. So off to the side, you might want to write these two words. Rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Isn't that what Paul said in verse 10? In verse 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Why is he rejoicing? Or let's take it a step further here. So a missionary who's, who's focused on the church, here's the next point, receive support while staying content with God's provision. Listen, I'll hold off on that just for a moment. Look at, look at, look at verse 11. Notice what he says here. He said, listen, you, you started supporting me, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 18, he says, I am, have all and abound. I am full. So what's he doing? He's, um, he's content with God's provision, isn't he? I think Kel's already got the next point up, right? Staying reliant 
with God's power. So we want, we want to support missionaries who are content with God's provision, whether they get it from us or not. But we also want to support missionaries who are reliant upon God's power. Notice what he says, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What are the all things? Verse 8 and verse 9. But then he says, notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. God still used you to supply. So praise the Lord for that. So, man, we want missionaries who are going to stay reliant upon God's power. But let's take it a step further. We, they, we want missionaries who are going to receive support while staying focused with God's perspective. They're focused with God's perspective. Remember, rejoicing greatly. So, let's, let's just pose a question. If you could call up a missionary and says, but... What if you can't afford to stay on the field? Right? What if you can't afford to stay on the field? Brian Clark. What if you can't afford to stay on the field? Eric Brown, missionary of Belfast, India. What if you can't afford to stay uh, on the field? Matty Carvin. You know what the response is? God strengthens me. This is what a missionary with, that's focused on God's perspective, a, a missionary is going to respond by saying, God strengthens me so that I can do the work even in my time of need. And they say things like verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Well, what if you can't afford? I guess God's going to give me the strength to do it. That's the kind of missionaries we need to support. Which takes the next question, what if, well, what happens if I can't afford to keep you on the field? What happens if I have to pull my support? What, what happens if I can't afford? Well, then I would hope a missionary would tell me this. Philippians 4.19. God's going to take care of you as you take care of me. That's what 4.19 says. But my God shall supply your need according in his it was the same verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, if we're gonna say we're gonna support a missionary, we're joining to be with them from the beginning to the end. And there may be a time where we look at the budget and going, I don't know if we can keep you on the field. I want that missionary to call me up and say, But my God shall supply all your need. Do you believe that? Are you asking me to, to quote verse 13? Because that's the missionary quoting it. Verse 19 is for the church. Verse 13 is for the person on the field. Verse 19 is for the church. In other words, God will take care of you as you take care of me. That's what he's saying. And then you might be re responding, but well then, if you don't need us, then why are you rejoicing when we send you something? I love his response. Because he says this in verse 11. He's rejoicing greatly in verse 10, but he says this in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. Verse 17, not because I desire a gift. It's not because you supplied a need that I'm rejoicing. It's not even that you sent me a Christmas bonus, the gift that I'm rejoicing. You know what he's rejoicing about? 
Stay in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That right there is why he rejoices, and that right there is one of the reasons we send support. The opposite of going is not staying. What's the opposite of going? Sending. God has not called me to Mfue, Zambia. Praise Jesus. God has not called me to Malawi, Africa. Praise Jesus. God has not called me to Belfast, Ireland. Praise the Lord. We're London, England. He hasn't called me to Vietnam. He hasn't called me to New Zealand. He hasn't called me to any of those places. But I'm there. You know why I'm there? Because there's somebody there plowing that field and working that field and making disciples in my stead. And I've sent them there. How did I send them there? Because we did as a local church. And Paul is now in Rome, in a Roman prison, suffering and going through a difficult time. And yet he's making disciples. You can read the names at the end of chapter 4. People are getting saved and disciples are made and their names are now written in the last book of life, but they're also written in the book of Philippians and we're reading, the, reading their names. And Paul's leading people to Christ and the moment he receives Epaphroditus, bringing the stuff, he rejoices greatly going, the Philippians get in on the action, man. The Philippians got to be a part of this. He's like, I, I don't want to do this on my own. There's got to be more buy-in. Can people come and be a part of that and that? is why he's rejoicing. That's why he's rejoicing. All right, so let's get super practical then. When is it appropriate to quote Philippians 4.13 then? When is it appropriate to quote that verse? Because it's a good verse, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Here's when it's appropriate. When you question your ability to keep doing the work of making disciples, that's when you quote that verse. You see, this whole time we've been talking about missions and missionaries. And we've got a building full of missionaries. Missionaries to our children. Missionaries to our adults. Missionaries to our students. Ministries and disciple makers. Ministries, missionaries everywhere within this church. And there's going to be moments, there's going to be time when you question your ability to keep doing it. I don't know that I have it in me anymore. I'm too tired. I, I can't do this on my own. I feel like I've got nobody backing me. I feel like I'm on my own. Then you have Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things. What are the all things? Verse 8. That's the all things. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Because we have verses like Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's when we quote verses like that. All right, so next, last question. When is it appropriate to quote Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19? when I question my ability to support the work of making disciples. 
when I question my ability to support the work. I just don't think I can afford to do that. Well, I think we've just made a, a case that you can't afford not to. When you question your ability to support the work of making disciples in areas that you wish you could help, wish you could do, but But you get to quote Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Wait a second. As I take care of them, God is going to take care of me. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. But can I take you back to chapter 4 and verse 19? But my God shall supply all your, what's the word? Need. Not your wants. But I might have to do without a want. Yep. That's a sacrifice. A sweet odor. Well-pleasing to God. Man, I love these verses. They're great verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But we got to make sure that we keep them in their proper context. And make sure we are applying them at the proper time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is for the person who's on the ground doing the work. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 is for the church supporting it. Let's keep our, let's keep our heads, let's keep our heads in the book and make sure that we're applying the word of God exactly where it needs to be applied. Glad you came. That's good stuff, isn't it? That's just a simple. Right across the plate, Matt, you thought it was going to be about giving. Ha, ha, ha. Give your life, man. Give your life. Lord God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you for how you you bring us together, people who would never have really relationships one with another apart from you. And Lord, Lord, you're, you're bringing us together. You're knitting us together as we begin to apply and, and carry out the functions, Lord. Lord, that you've equipped every single one of us. So Lord, I pray for those who are not able to be here. Lord, we miss them. Our part of our body is, is missing. Lord, I'm also grateful I'm thankful for the new faces, new people who are here. Lord, I pray that you will lead and guide them exactly where you would have them to be, whether that's here or someplace else. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the body of Christ will do and be what, the, what you've called the body of Christ to do and to be. Lord, I pray that we will send where we cannot go. And Lord, that we will work and we will grow and we will plant and we will make disciples where you have planted us. Lord, knowing, Lord, that you will take care of us as we take care of, of others. Lord, I pray that we will not grow weary in our well-doing. Lord, I, I pray that uh, the season of holidays and busyness will not consume us. But, Lord, that we'll embrace the opportunities to build relationships so that we can get the gospel out. Lord, we've seen firsthand in chapter Acts 16 and Acts 17 just how quickly 
you can work in the lives of people. Lord, I pray that uh, we will encounter a season of revival here at HBC in Iola, Kansas, and the surrounding area. We give you the praise.